Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. It's Wednesday, January 18th, and on this week's podcast, we looked at the implications for Ireland from Theresa May's speech on Tuesday, where she laid out her negotiating priorities for Brexit. In the second part of the show, we investigated Bus Aaron's perilous financial situation and what it might mean for its bus services, staff and customers. Former Senator Sean Barrett and Martin Wall of the Irish Times join me for that segment. I think there is potentially an existential problem or crisis for our bus errand. The, the future of the company is, is, is in doubt. But more of that and on. In the first part of the show, I was joined in studio by IBEC Chief Executive Danny McCoy, Economist Jim Power and Irish Times Business Editor Cliff Taylor. Danny McCoy told us why he feels there will ultimately be no deal between the UK and the EU. He also highlighted how Ireland needs to cut its personal taxes if we're to attract jobs and investment from firms relocating from the UK. Jim Power told us why he believes Ireland should have a minister for Brexit. And he predicted that our agri-food sector could take an 800 million euro sales hit if the UK applies WTO tariffs to EU imports. And Cliff Taylor teased out the implications of custom border controls between North and South. Before we begin, let me remind you that Inside Business is available to download for free from iTunes. It's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. And if you'd like to have your say about any of the issues covered on Inside Business, you can contact us by email at businesspodcast at irishtimes.com. We began by listening to a clip of Theresa May from her speech, where she outlines the relationship that she would like to see between Britain and the UK going forward. Whether that means we must reach a completely new customs agreement, become an associate member of the customs union in some way, or remain a signatory to some elements of it, I hold no preconceived position. I have an open mind on how we do it. It is not the means that matter, but the ends. And those ends are clear. I want to remove as many barriers to trade as possible. And I want Britain to be free to establish our own tariff schedules at the World Trade Organization meaning we can reach new trade agreements, not just with the EU, but with old friends and new allies from outside Europe too. Danny McCoy, um, sounds great. Uh, Out of the single market, no free movement of people, no full membership of the customs union, yet she wants a a tariff-free trade deal with Europe. Uh, How's she going to square that circle? Well, she talks very eloquently, but she's saying something very harsh, um, and I think that's the way we need to interpret it. You know, I think we've... As if we've gone incrementally into this, you know, the shock of last June and then slowly but surely moving further and further apart. Um, so if you just, you know, step back a year and heard that speech, we'd be in absolute shock today that our biggest trading partner is so clearly going on a different uh, destination. And I think for the business community uh, up to this point, single market you know, soft Brexit would probably be our desired outcome, some form of some control over migration, particularly in the labour market um, aspect of that, was probably something we could live with, um, with the UK getting uh, access to the single market. But now they're actually outside the customs union. Once you take in customs, this is business. You know, it's not got to do with society. It's going to be about the the technicalities of getting goods to market and so on. So she's offered up a fairly appalling vista now for uh, the business community here in Ireland to start to deal with it. There will be opportunities as well, of course, but but it is is going to be much more significant than many people are giving credit to yesterday. I think you described it yesterday as an aggressive move, uh, showing little regard for our trading relationship and for relations with other EU member states. 
Well, absolutely. And uh, of course, you know, as you saw, some of the the more right wing media in the UK are basically saying that she, you know, held up a threat to the EU, you know, good deal or else or else we start to get aggressive in corporate taxation. Uh, Britain will be aggressive in corporate taxation, regardless of, of whatever is happening. And this has been a clear strategy by the Cameron Osborne nexus that they've treated a G7 country like a small open economy. Nothing wrong with that. That, you know, all's fair in love and war. That's the way we've been uh, behaving as well. And, uh, you know that, but it's game on. And so, when we're on the same team and the EU, we mm. you know we collaborate and compete. It seems to me now we're moving much more towards just a compete. Yeah, uh, Jim Power, um, no membership of the single market and no full membership of the customs union. I just wonder if you can sort of put some figures on this for us to encapsulate what it might mean in, in hard numbers in terms of uh, the UK's GDP going forward, Ireland's GDP. What might the impact be? Yeah, I, I have to say, just starting off, that I, I think that Theresa May would never have been expected to say anything differently yesterday. Um, it was a harsh approach. It was an aggressive approach. But what, well flagged, what, what, yeah, what did yeah. we expect? This is the beginning of a negotiation process. Uh, she couldn't sort of start off her position somewhere in the middle. She had to start at an extreme, which she did. Um, and what we're going to see once Article 50 is invoked is the EU approach to this. And inevitably, what we will end up with is some sort of compromise. But um, one of the telling things she said at the end was that for Britain, um, no deal is better than a bad deal, in which case Britain would then go into World Trade Organization so what does that trading mean? arrangements. Well, basically, tariffs to all sorts of goods um, would go up, okay? And uh, there are hundreds of different tariffs that apply to different mm. products. But for the agri-food sector, for example, worth, exports worked over 4.1 billion last year. It is estimated that... This is the Irish agri-food The sector. Irish agri-food mm. sector exports, okay, that if... WTO tariffs were applied to those products, it could knock 800 million off that export number. So that's about a fifth. All other things. It, it's about a fifth, absolutely. Obviously, the Irish agri-food industry will have to go out and find other markets and build greater presence in existing markets. Mm. So it's, it's not going to be all lost, but certainly one of our biggest export markets um, would come under serious pressure. So if, if you extrapolate that across the whole economy, you know, certainly a WTO type hard break for Britain could knock um, at least in the short term up to 1% a year off Irish GDP. Okay, and we're told by our politicians that Ireland's going to be the country that's worst affected by this. Uh, would you concur with that? Well, ab- absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Um, our economic relationship with Britain is much stronger um, in percentage terms than any other country. Okay, um, around 14% of our merchandise exports go to the UK market. But if you break down indigenous Irish industry, um, you know, over 40% of that goes to Britain. So for indigenous Ireland, Britain is by far the most important trading partner. Um, and if we lose free access to that market, obviously it is going to have huge implications for us and no other EU country would have anything like the same sort of exposure. Yeah, okay. Now there was some good news for Ireland uh, in her speech in so much as she uh, made it clear that she wants to retain the common travel area if possible. Uh, Let's have have a listen to that clip. There has been a common travel area between the UK and the Republic of Ireland for many years. And the family ties and bonds of affection that unite our two countries mean that there will always be a special relationship between us. So we will work to deliver a practical solution that allows the maintenance of the common travel area with the Republic while protecting the integrity of the United Kingdom's immigration system. Nobody wants to return to the borders of the past. So we will make it a priority to deliver a practical solution as soon as we can. Cliff Taylor, it sounds good. And uh, I suppose for Irish people, it's it's comforting to think that we might still have the common travel area in place, uh, you know, once Britain leaves the EU. But is it feasible? I think it's going to be difficult. Uh, this is, I think, the, f- the first thing that uh, senior officials here identified when the Brexit vote went through. They said, OK, what are our priorities going to be? And the first top of the list was the common travel area. So... Are we going to be able to retain freedom of movement between Ireland and Britain? Probably. Uh, We probably will. There is the issue of uh, European people from other European countries coming to Ireland and moving on to Britain. How is that going to be controlled? Uh, Perhaps, you know, through some kind of a... Uh, electronic system in terms of people who are who are just going uh, on holidays, but work permits are going to be needed for for those mm. who are who are going we to work. A lot of people coming in from India and places like South Africa and so on who have like a dual visa, if you like, for for sure. Britain and Ireland, uh, and it's going to be important for us that we retain that. It is, it? yeah. If, if 
it looks like the system in the UK will be some kind of work workplace based system in terms of people going to going to work there, and that that can be worked out if you like. But whether it could be worked out as frictionless as, as it is at the moment and as easy as it is at the moment, uh, you know, is, is is very much open to question. Are people going to be able to move backwards and forward across the border as as they can now to live and work? Probably yes. Uh, are goods going to be able to move freely back and forth across the border? I think there's got to be a big question mark about that. Uh, it seems to me that if Britain leaves the customs union, inevitably there's going to have to be some check on uh, goods crossing the border. That's an issue for exporters, importers, an, is- mm. an issue for supply chains, for companies who are who are operating on both sides of the border, getting inputs from one side. There's some experience of this now in the EU, isn't it, with Sweden and Norway? There is, and, and you know, it's perhaps not like the old days where you could, uh, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd uh, queues of lorries at the border. Hopefully, we're not going back to that a lot of it can be done electronically a lot of it can be done via technology but you know it still has to be done it still has to be checked mm. uh, and, and apart from that uh, as Jim was talking about we also have the prospect of tariffs uh, you know very likely appearing on some of our uh, of our goods moving to the UK very unclear how that's going to work out Theresa May had this thing about kind of uh, having our cake and eating it you know leaving the customs union being able to do other deals with New Zealand and, and, and America but still hoping for frictionless trade with the rest of Europe, you would expect the rest of Europe to say, you know, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- why should we allow well, you? Why should we allow you to do especially with America and still allow freedom of movement? Yeah, within I mean, the Angela Merkel. I just don't think that's going to no cherry picking, hasn't she? Yeah, and you know this, this old Boris Johnson nonsense about having your cake and eating it, and this is what Britain's going to do. I just don't think, you know, as uh, as they say, war plans. I don't think this is going to survive contact with the enemy. You know, this isn't. Yeah. This just isn't going to. I can't see how it's going to be negotiable. Okay, Danny, we have the outline of a plan now from the UK, um, but does Ireland have a plan? in terms of our negotiating position and how we make sure that we get the best deal possible for Ireland from Brexit? Well, you know, I have been critical of the government in lots of things. I, I wouldn't criticise them on the Brexit preparations. In fact, um, I, I think for what was knowable, um, I think Ireland's been, in, you know, for obvious reasons, been so exposed, has a, you know, a reasonable look at all the issues that are involved. I think they needed the clarity of yesterday to realise whether we were out there batting to keep Britain in the single market and trying to get that soft Brexit, the British have said they don't want it. Um, and that's, a f- that's the, f- the aggressiveness, even though it's soft words and nicely put. It's an incredibly aggressive move in a relationship that goes back mm. quite a long uh, period of time. And it has to be seen as that. And so I think the government needs to be emboldened now to say, well, if that's the space we're in, we really mm. have to watch all, uh, all of the levers. Sure. Could I say something that could be quite controversial? Mm. As that Please if do. you take them at their, um, at their word that they're going to control migration. There is a, a pull factor towards these two islands, which is the Anglo-Saxon model globalization and English speaking. And, um, and so when we look at the very positives of the kind of the falling off the table of Brexit in terms of financial jobs and people will give you the sliver of the financial centre, there's also people movement. Uh, if people are shut out of Britain but still want to have that experience, Ireland will um, and that'd be great, it's been a great boon to us, but when we don't have the infrastructure no. and when we're already in pressure points, that's a plan to say, well, there will be people mm. who will want to move. I think we should be welcoming them, but we really aggressively have to ramp up our But hold on, our unemployment rate is 7.2%. So a lot of people here might say, well, shouldn't we be well, working on jobs for Irish people rather That's what than- I mean about being controversial, is that I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to be controversial, but I'm saying it's a logical outcome from what they've actually said. So if you're talking about preparation, the first thing they're really aggressively saying is we're going to control migration and we're going to cherry pick mm-hmm. who we want to let in. Yeah. We're part very strongly, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be part of the European Union with the free movement. Mm. Uh, we have to expect that we will ex- will get more people. And if uh, that could be a great boon to us, but at the moment, we haven't built that infrastructure. We're creaking all over it, so we need a very aggressive plan for infrastructure development now. Uh, Jim. Can I, Kieran, say something maybe slightly controversial as well? Excellent. I get the distinct sense that within government, nobody is in charge of Well, Brexit. I was going to ask, uh, um, should we have a minister for Brexit? Uh, well, I believe in the beginning we should have because this is one of the most fundamental structural changes this country has experienced since 1973. Who would be the arguably. right person for that job? Well, I, I don't know who the right person would be, but I'll, t- I'll t- give you an idea in a second. But I get the distinct impression at the moment that there's a turf war going on between the Department of the Taoiseach and the Department of Foreign Affairs about who really should be out there batting for Ireland in, in charge. These mm-hmm. in charge. So I think that sort of turf war, turf war, excuse me, would be absolutely disastrous for Ireland. And that's why I believe it's important to push a minister in, with responsibility for the whole Brexit situation. And it's not a job that's going to last a year or two. This is a long-term job. Uh, but I just think it's fundamentally so 
important to Ireland uh, that we need to devote a lot more serious attention to it. And what I hear from government does not fill me with confidence, I have to say. All right. Let's just talk about the immigration issue for a moment. I mean, is it real realistic for Britain to actually uh, put these immigration policies in place in the context of an economy that needs a lot of uh, foreign nationals to come and work in essential services. Let's take the NHS. It needs about a million people uh, working in the NHS. They're thereabouts. And there's over 100 nationalities uh, working in the service. There's 13,000 Irish, there's 13,000 Indian. They're the two most uh, the two yeah. highest numbers, uh, if you like. I mean, is it realistic? Well, it's, it's interesting that a, a lot of the people who have come into Britain have come in through the Commonwealth, not through the European Union anyway. So uh, there, there was a lot of misinformation mm. in relation to that issue before the referendum and indeed since the referendum. But the, the reality is, and I, I would be a 100% supporter of immigration, I think the benefits of immigration are incredible at a social level, at an economic level, at a business level. And um, I think that if Britain does try to shut down its borders, it will do serious damage to Britain. It can't. Britain needs immigrants. It needs certain skills to come in to drive that economy. And if it prevents those from coming in, the British economy is going to get into serious trouble. I've no doubt about that. Danny? But, but all they're seeking here, they're, they're not shutting them. In fairness to them, I take them at their word. It's a globalised um, economy. Um, Britain has always been receptive to migration and will continue to be, in, in my view. What they're asking for is a control mechanism. And uh, what they haven't had the capacity, nor do we, have any control mechanism in terms of the scale. And both economies have benefited disproportionately from the opening up of the European markets. Um, however... The problem that Britain has, and we're currently experiencing, is that we haven't built the infrastructure fast enough. And so while people are incredibly positive in the workplace, the working week, there's also living in the society. And if your infrastructure, be they playgrounds or A&Es or schools, you're going to get this natural reaction. If you put a, a question in front of people who are feeling frustrated, you get Brexit. I'm not sure uh, that, you know, it was, a, it was a folly in retrospect to put that question out there. And now... I think uh, Theresa May has put a saddle on it and really mm. has taken a, a mandate of m much more extremists, which I don't think the business community in any society would put migration to the absence of being in a huge single market that's been very positive for Britain. Okay, uh, Jim, what's this, what's, they're not going to be in a single market, so what's that going to mean for the City of London and financial services? Well, um, she, in her speech yesterday, she specified two areas that she would like to see existing trading arrangements continue, the export of cars and trucks, and financial services, you know, um, but the European perspective on this has been very, very clear that without an EU banking license, you will not be able to sell financial services into the EU out of London. Um, and I find it very difficult to see um, the EU backing away from that. So I definitely think we are going to see um, an outflux of um, investment from mm. the City of London. But it is not the end of the City of London. That was promised back in 99 when Stirling sensibly remained outside of the Euro area. Uh, people were predicting it would destroy the City of London. In fact, no, the City of London has grown from strength to strength since then. And I think the City of London will continue to be very prosperous because it is a centre of excellence. You know, it is one of the greatest financial cent mm. service centres in the world. And that culture isn't going to disappear overnight. But it is definitely going to change the nature of it. I think there's no doubt about that. And that's one area, obviously, Ireland can benefit from. Yeah. Uh, but to benefit from that, we need to have addressed the issues that Danny was talking about in terms of infrastructure, you know, the ability to cope with housing. those we businesses. Don't have housing. Exactly. We don't have enough housing. Absolutely. Rental prices to yes. the roof. Yes. Yeah. And our personal tax system doesn't exactly make it conducive for people to come into Ireland either. Yeah. Um, Cliff, we've heard a lot about uh, possible relocations to Ireland of mm. uh, some financial services from the city of London. Um, can we put any figures on it or can we say with any certainty who might be coming here? I mean, you had a story uh, just a couple of days ago about uh, Lloyds of London looking actively at Ireland. It's difficult at the moment. I mean, the the IDA and the central bank have said they've had, you know, 100 plus mm. have uh, contacted them. I think it seems what a lot of the banks, insurance companies and big financial institutions have been doing is scoping out, you know, three or four different locations. So they're talking to Paris, they're talking to us, some of them are talking to Malta. Uh, and, and all these places are in play. And I suppose, you know, sensibly and prudently, they're saying, OK, we, we, let's see how this is going to work out. They now know that Britain is definitely going to leave uh, the single market. There are still some negotiations to take place, as James said, about access uh, to the financial market. Uh, but, but, but 
it's hard to see how that's that's going to be retained. You know, what's the give that Britain would have to give to, to get that negotiated? It would be pretty huge, I would think. And the French have their eyes on the business and the Germans to some extent, Luxembourg. So I, I think we will see as this year as the year goes on now, second quarter, third quarter this year, we start to see announcements from companies, I think, uh, that they're setting up in, in uh, subsidiaries yeah. in other European countries. Danny Ibeck would have its ear to the ground on such matters. Uh, what, are, what are you picking up in terms of what you know, might relocate to Dublin, let's say, from the City of London? Well, I think Cliff's right. People are, you know, exploring lots of options. And I think we will get some of that, you know, just on the, on the law of probability. But there's also the countervailing force that if Britain now goes under a, a different customs regime, a lot of our indigenous companies are going to need to relocate some parts of their business to service that market. Mm. So it'll be a, an equal yeah, uh, pull and push factor. I do think, though, one of the things we we really should ask as well is how did the EU lose such a big country? Mm. Um, You know, how did this happen that uh, the circumstances were such that there wasn't enough put on the table um, to try to help? Because I think my own view, long term, is we will see controlled migration right right throughout the entire European Union. The the fundamental freedoms that people are now citing were being offered up to Britain in February, albeit in very small measures. Emergency breaks were offered to be able to vary the social welfare payments were being offered. The ever closer union wasn't there. And now suddenly we're getting this, oh no, we've got these fundamental Mm. principles that we've never negotiated on. Um, You know, the tragedy is... So what's the future of the EU in in your opinion? Well... I still think it will hold together, but it may actually become much stronger, which will give Ireland some dilemmas, I think, in terms of what we sign up to, to the the harder core piece there. But I do think that um, the EU structure, the 27 of us, probably thought that the world for Britain would be a lot colder right now, um, that, you know, we wouldn't see the economy still so robust. It may still slow. Oh, I think Sterling's doing okay. But I think the game changer, perhaps, is, uh, is the comfort that Trump is now giving Britain when it comes to trade. And I think one of the spectaculars that could come fairly soon is if Britain manages to get away what might be a fairly minor trade deal, but if it's quick uh, and TTIP hasn't happened, Mm. a lot of the proposition uh, of aggression that I was uh, citing yesterday could really become more manifest because they are aggressive in terms of of corporation tax and fair play to them, Mm. that's what they want to do. Uh, But Jim is right, we've left ourselves exposed on the taxation, personal taxation, capital gains, a lot of things that a lot of the populism in Ireland don't want to talk about or find it inconvenient. Uh, And, you know, that, that kind of aspect is we can make it a very static pool here but if we want to be dynamic we need to pull every lever we have and we can't allow these gaps exist between the proposition that Britain will have to mobile investment not just foreign or own indigenous So you're suggesting that personal taxation needs to reduce? Absolutely uh, But we're I running a deficit at the minute how are we going to pay, for, no, pay the bills? Running, we're, not, we're not running a deficit of any significance um, We, and in fact we could be in a lot stronger uh, position if we started to use private capital to deliver some of the public infrastructure I mean this, this is we're way past the constraints that people believe that we have been in for some time. I, a personal view, that was over quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I think we've missed some of the opportunity, but let's not compound it now by, by holding back. Like if you take it to Absurdia, uh, the European Commission said that we could uh, take the 13 billion Apple uh, money and spend it. Well, money's fungible. Why but not grab another 13 billion? With the barge no, not that particular one, but, that one, but you know, money's fungible. We, the markets can... Uh, raise up that kind of funding anyhow through, and through the Juncker plan actually encourages to get more uh, private uh, capital in there. We've had an aversion to that for all kinds of reasons, both at governmental level, but also at society level where people aren't prepared to pay for things. Water charges. You know, you know roads, Kieran, in relation to the personal tax situation, you know that in this country, as a single person, once you go over 33,800, mm. you go on a 49.5% marginal rate. In the UK, you'd need to be earning 150,000. Um, in Spain, 300,000. I mean, that, that to me, that is the biggest problem with our tax system, the fact you end up paying the top marginal rate at such a low level of income. Um, I, I think our personal tax system is grossly um, disincentivizing mm. for people who want to come into this country. And I've spoken to a couple of professionals recently who are looking at relocating in Dublin, absolutely horrified at the personal tax situation yes, they face. Yes, but wasn't one of the messages from last year's general election, Jim, that people didn't want personal taxation cut? That actually they didn't buy Fine Gael's plan to abolish uh, the USC, for example. Well, they wanted more spending I, on I, services. I, I, I don't believe we should abolish the, P, the USC. 
because that would just narrow the tax base, which is the wrong way of going about it. Um, I just think we need to allow people to earn a lot more money before they pay the top rate of tax. I think that would create a lot of incentive and would have a very buoyant impact on the overall economy. And at the end of the day, uh, to me, there is no group in our society that is more pilloried than the people who actually pay the taxes Mm. that fund public services. Um, They need a bit of respect. Uh, They're not getting it. And the budget we got last October, to me, was another insult to the Irish taxpayer. So I I really think that we need to address our personal tax system. And if you address it properly, you will actually generate the revenue that will fund public services. You cannot spend more money on public services uh, by pulling the money out of the air. That's asking an awful lot of a minority government, does Of course it is. Absolutely. And I have been utterly depressed with Ireland's political situation since last February and with every week that passes I become more depressed I have to say and I am an optimist. <laughs> I, I think the rates is an important one and, and cutting off the rates doesn't necessarily mean you end up with less revenue. We, yeah. we know this for, for lots of reasons. On the USC um, that's a very important tax for widening the tax base and so you know again we, we can rehearse that I think the USC though should be put to purpose um, and I think people would buy into that. We've got a pension problem out there, we also have infrastructure and just clever ways of delivering public services. I know it's not popular but CSO, the stats are there. Households in Ireland had a disposable income increase of near on 6% in 2015. Combination of more people back at work, those who are at work having more hours, their wages going up, taxes being cut. And that combination is coexisting in a kind of a private affluence and also the purchasing power of that is really high. First time in the history of the state you got that kind of a surge yeah. with no no consumer Mind price you, inflation. A lot of debt out there as well. Well, the debt is, is also matched by assets. Um, you know, we concentrate on just one side of the balance sheet, but if you actually look at the net asset position of the Irish households, only exceeded by Luxembourg in uh, in the EU. So, yeah. that you know, the combination of private affluence, but we're now in danger of public squalor. And if anybody wants to look for that, look at the A&Es. If you look at the stock of capital that is in the A&Es, both in terms of the infrastructure, the quality of the surgeons, the mm. medical staff, and even the patients and their opportunity costs have been in there. Some of the parts squalor, private parts all affluent. Okay, finally, uh, Cliff Taylor, uh, who holds the whip hand in these negotiations? We have Britain, population circa 60 million versus the EU 27 population, I think circa 680 million. Who holds the whip hand in your opinion? I think you've just answered your own question there. Um, You know, Britain has some cards to play. It's a big country. It's as... um as Danny says, a G7 country, it has uh, you know military strategic significance, um, so it's it doesn't go in with no cards. Uh, but I I just find that the whole approach of Britain and the British press just seems to be you know diverging from reality in terms of what they expect to get out of these negotiations. And I guess the risk is that you know Jim was saying there might be a, a compromise deal done, and, and hopefully that's what happens. The the other possibility is that there's no real deal done that this ends up as a mess. Uh, that Britain ends up crashing out of the European Union uh, without any kind of transitional deal for what's going to happen next, and, and that would make it even worse for us. Um, so while you know it might stick in our guts a little bit to uh, to support Britain and try and um, and try and try and get some kind of deal done. That's it, it. Probably is in our best interest still. And, and Danny, what's your best guess on how long this might take? Well, I think I think Theresa May flicked it yesterday or attempted to do so in this more than in sorrow than in anger. You know that because you had these principles and couldn't bend, we have to get out of the single market. Um, I think that was kind of clever positioning, but the reality still remains the same as their decision to go. Um, I think she's indicated that it's a no deal. I think she knows it's going to be a no deal. I think the only reason it didn't go fully out of the customs union has got to do with inter-cabinet rivalry going on, not rivalry, but uh, Hammond and Greg Clark, the business secretary, have been against it. I think that was a sop. So she's not half in, half out in the single market, but certainly pretending to be half in, half out in the customs union. It's not credible. I think they're out. And I think they are now going to be aggressively looking for that trade deal. And we can expect quite aggressiveness coming on the corporate tax front as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, Danny McCoy, Jim Parr and Cliff Taylor, thank you for that. We'll take a short break now. When we return, we'll be considering the perilous financial state of Busseron. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life, June 2015. 
Now, welcome back to the show. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. For this part of the programme, I was joined by Irish Times Industrial Relations correspondent Martin Wall and by Transport Economist at TCD, Sean Barrett, to discuss Bus Aaron's financial difficulties. A recent report to Bus Aaron by consultants Grant Thornton recommended that the state-owned transport company shut its loss-making expressway service with the loss of 500 jobs and the closure of 10 depots. I first asked Martin t- to explain to us just how precarious the finances of Bus Aaron currently are. Well, so far, uh, it's projected that Bus Aaron has lost about €8 million Euro, um, this year, or will we'll lose €8 million Euro this year. There have been losses in previous years, and a report by Grant Thornton, a consultant's report to the company, forecasts that if nothing was done, the company would continue to lose five, six million a year into the future and would have accumulated losses of maybe 44 million euro, in excess of 44 million euro by 2021. In essence, it said if nothing is done, the company in reality is going to run out of money within uh, within, tw- within two years and 24 months. The, that and the figure accumulated de- deficit at the minute is about 21 million euro. Is about 21 million euro. Okay, so what did they recommend, Mark? Um, well, there were a number of issues. There, there were three main issues that the, that the this that Grant Thornton looked at. There were three options that management had drawn up. Grant Thornton were brought in to actually assess these options. Basically, do nothing. Not really an option. The company will be gone within eighteen months to two years. That really isn't an option. The other option was restructure the business. Um, the problems in the business are largely expressway. There were three divisions in the business. There is expressway, which is the commercial arm. They're competing with uh, private That's operators. That's largely intercity routes. Largely, by and large, intercity routes. Although the diff- and they're competing with private operators. Although the difference with the expressway bus routes is is that in a num- many cases they don't just confine themselves to the motorways from point to point, city to city. They go to they, some of the highways. They go to some highways. along the way where their competitors do not. So they do provide a, provide a service. The other part of the, is the, the, of the company is the what's called the public service obligation. They're the local state subsidised services that operate within cities like in Cork and Limerick and Galway and operate local services between towns. The third option is the school transport um, services. The real loss maker is Expressway, losing potentially six million a year, uh, 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 maybe more now at this stage, largely due to the fact that it is competing with uh, private operators. The private operators have a lower cost base. The bus air and the state company is a higher cost base. And it would appear that the problems of the debts of the company, uh, on the, uh, sorry, the losses on Expressway are threatening to drag down the entire company. So Grant Thornton options, do nothing. The second one was uh, looking at uh, restructuring. They were going to suggesting that the company expressway service could be essentially separated from the main bus air and company. The staff would either be let go or could be replaced on with new staff on inferior terms and conditions. Grant Thornton again suggests that really probably wasn't viable because there didn't really seem to be a a way to recoup the costs of, of redundancy, mm. that it could cost about €23 million Euro to do that. And there w- didn't seem to be any guarantee that we'd get the money back ultimately. And then the third option was just to close down the close down the, the, the expressway service completely. That would be 516 jobs gone. There would be up to 10 depots around the country would close. The company then said after the Irish Times re- reported on the Grant Thornton report last week, it said no, they wanted to keep Expressway within the within the ambit of the organisation, but that there would be a serious cost containment plans would have to be put in place. Now, the issue where this becomes critical is that it's not just in two years, 18, 18 months or two years ahead. These cost-saving measures have to be agreed by April because in April, the board of Bus Aaron has to sign off on the accounts. They can only sign off on the accounts if a viable plan to keep the company going as a going concern is in place. So, in reality, the measures have to be put in place. What they announced earlier this week was issues such as reductions in overtime, ending flexi-time arrangements. There was issues in relation to fuel initiatives and fuel initiatives in relation to how they operate with their spare drivers. Basically, what the company would maintain was what it was doing then was there were parts of agreements that had not been implemented on a national basis and they were going to be implemented and that's what we had so far. However, there, there's a second phase to this, which is going. They are going to be approaching the, the unions in relation to, which is likely to involve reductions in earnings of staff, things like premium payments, mm. um, overtime rates. We don't know the full detail, um, but th- that is where the potential issues are. A third issue is also problematical because the probably the likelihood is that's going to look at routes, and obviously, given as you said in relation to the uh, the services that Expressway provides 
in local communities, that is going to cause political problems as well. Although the government has maintained that even if, if expressway is taken, if bus errand stops serving particular routes, that alternative service will be put in place by the National Transport Authority. Politicians and local campaigners in local communities will obviously be very are very concerned about that, and it has been raised yeah. literally in the doll in the last two days. Yeah. Okay. Sean Barrett, bring you in on this. It sounds uh, to all intents and purposes as if uh, Bus Erin is effectively insolvent, and I wonder if we really need a state-owned company operating bus services uh, up and down the country. It's a good question, Kieran. I don't know whether we've come to that stage of crisis yet. Martin has described all of the. Uh, the IR material. Um, I don't think Grant Thornton, for instance, has been published uh, yet, and so on. But I, I know that he's been carrying the the, the story uh, very well. So, what would economists on the outside see of it? Well, there's about 300 bus and routes that are done on public service obligations. They are paid on a subsidy of about 38 million a year, based on the 2015 accounts. So I, I don't think there's any sort of uh, dispute on those. And then the school bus service is handled completely separately. And so what's left is expressways, which is 23 uh, routes, which were a relatively minor operation um, before uh, we opened the motorways and they date uh, filling in the missing links 2008-10. And then after that, uh, um, the um, independent operators who'd been on those routes have really expanded uh, the uh, operations. There are, I think, about 70 buses a day between three operators and Dublin Galway, 20-minute frequency. Uh, some do go into small towns. CityLink I've seen in places like Tyrrell Pass and so on, uh, but mostly they stick to the motorways. We had to subsidise the ex-Dublin uh, Cork Road uh, piece uh, between Erlingford Abbey Leaks, Durrow, into Port Leach Railway Station because uh, apparently nobody wanted to do that uh, as, as an express route. Uh, so there's, 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 there's two of those routes have had to be subsidised, Longford Cavan as well, two independent operators. But that system is, is broadly there, the 300 routes. And the the deficit on it is quite small, um, and that they expected in 2016 to make that up. So you're back then to what you do with the expressway routes, these high-intensity motorway mm. routes, uh, Dublin, Dundalk. I, and I, I should say, I should say, uh, Sean. Sorry to cut across you, but in the draft uh, of the Grant Thornton report, um, Grant Thornton said that, in its opinion, uh, there there really are limited strategic uh, reasons for the state to have ownership of a commercial. Uh, bus business. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, I, I see in my, uh, as, as, as a lecturer to large numbers of undergraduates, particularly when the Erasmus people come, they like to go to Galway and uh, they probably don't know who operates or where CityLink or, or GoBus or wherever from. And they get to go away for nine or ten euros, and so, and and uh, so it, it is a moot question. Uh, you know, historically, the state was there uh, because we 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 wanted a monopoly in the 1930s. There were about 1,100 independent bus companies eliminated by legislation between 1932 and I think that the, they had them all bought that they wanted to buy by the end of the 1930s. Some people have speculated whether that would be allowed at all if we'd had the 1937 constitution there. But that was the view, and they were all in private ownership then, but that private bus companies were a menace and private train companies should be supported. Some people, I suppose, on the political left said yeah, that the wealthier people in society owned railway shares, so they successfully petitioned uh, the Common Gael government in 1932 to get rid of independent bus companies, and Fianna Fáil in 1933 to get rid mm-hmm. of independent road freight companies and create licensing there as well. Yeah. But, uh, and, but the, the, well, given the world we live in now, um, yeah. do we really need to have a, uh, an expressway service uh, that is owned by the, a bus service that is owned by the state? I mean, the state's already kind of in intercity travel with Irish Rail. Yes, you could say. And then some people might say, was it, I mean, the original purpose of taking over the independent bus companies and having a state bus company was they wouldn't go too hard against Irish Rail. So we get another set of defensive policies to keep Irish Rail in existence. But it is true. And you can see the case for subsidising rail. and so. But for subsidising one bus company instead of another bus company, I think that gets kind of hard. And there is the judgment uh, by Mr. Justice Brian McMahon in the High Court 
in the Swords Express case where he warned the Department of Transport, you know, you're just, just because you own Dublin bus and you own bus air, um, it doesn't mean you don't have a duty. And he made it actually stronger. You must be seen to, to stop favouring your in-house companies and to actually bend over backwards and be seen in public to be uh, giving equal treatment to the companies you don't own uh, compared to the ones that you do own. So that has sort of... Uh, so is this that's by a thousand cuts for the likes of Bus Air, Irish Rail, uh, Dublin Bus? I mean, are they still going to be, in your opinion, will they still be around, let's say, 15, 20 years' time? Well, I mean, state-owned the, entities? Bus Air will still have the 300 uh, routes. Uh, the, the competition for those has been remarkably slow. There was a proposal around uh, um, about five years ago to have 10% of the routes uh, by the end of this decade or something open for competition. But that's been successfully resisted by both the trade unions and uh, bus area management. But w- whether they operate uh, intercity services, I mean, if, 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 um, if shopkeeper A in a, in a town in Ireland said, by the way, Aldi, Lidl and Super Value are taking my business, I'd like you to uh, give me a subsidy or I'd like you to intervene. And some of the, the strongest statements that the state should now withdraw the licenses that it's given to the new guys. I mean, that uh, we do have uh, a, a wish, and it's been what saved the Irish economy since the banking crisis that Kieran and I investigated for two years in Leinster House, is startups, entrepreneurships, initiatives. These people have actually done it. They saw a market to get people on the motorways to Galway and yeah. to Cork and to Belfast and down to Wexford, and so. On. And some of them have been, done, have been doing surprisingly well. Uh, that I say, I wonder is uh, Mr. X still in business on this route? I look up on the website, and he's gone up to 16, 17, 18 a day. I think between Dundalk and Dublin, there's over 50 uh, buses a day. So uh, you know, they, they, they're filling, fulfilling a need. Um, probably Bus Aaron and the talks that Martin's been reviewing, they have to take place and see, OK, how can we get the business back? I mean, are we inappropriately yeah. structured at Bus Aaron because it's an inheritance from a railway company which had a monopolistic kind of thinking in it? When we had an automatic lifeline into the Department of Transport before the Swords Express verdict came out, I mean, can we adapt to the new world? Uh, I mean, in a, a previous kind of debates used to be about that uh, with uh, Erlingus uh, versus Reiner and now we see Erlingus expanding so rapidly in the North Atlantic. Yes, so of course but Erlingus of course Erlingus is privately owned now. Martin, I might bring you in um, at this point. The MBRU um, the National Bus and Rail Workers Union uh, they've kind of been They've suggested that the uh, awarding of licences by the National Transport Authority to private operators has led us to this uh, pass with Bus Aaron. Um, and, you know, unless something is done, Bus Aaron's ability to operate these expressway services to rural Ireland is really going to be impacted. And uh, obviously rural Ireland isn't in favour of this happening either. So there's going to be a very strong lobby to find a solution to this problem, isn't there? Yeah, well, there are a number of potential solutions. Some of these expressway routes that are losing money, um, and I think there are six that lost a lot of money last year. If Are they really commercial routes or mm. are they service so be local community? Well, it wouldn't be they'd be axed. I think they may be, they may be trimmed, converted into being public service uh, routes, which would attract a state subsidy because obviously mm. at the moment... What kind of routes are we talking about? Well, they are, they are, they are the, they are, they, they, we haven't actually identified, the, the, the actual locations are not set out in the report as to what, as to what the loss-making routes of the expressway routes are. But it has been speculated it's there, there's some to the northwest and to Mayo and whatever. But it hasn't specifically been set out as to uh, uh, what, the, what they are. But some of those routes, if they do go off, divert from the motorways and go through small towns, there could be an argument. As to should they to PSO be, to, to PSO them, the that would be one solution. The other issue I think that will will, will come on the table. I think what the what the unions are looking for, apart from protecting existing terms and conditions for staff, is to look at the whole issue of. They claim that the liberalisation of the licensing arrangement by the National Transport Authority has meant that some of the routes are saturated. So that I think you know the Sean spoke there about routes at twenty minute frequencies to some of the major cities. In when Shane Ross took over as Minister for Transport last uh, last May, in the briefing notes that were given to him uh, by the Department of Transport by his officials, it said that bus air and management believed and argued there were too many licences being issued. And it's not just licences, it's licences for the frequency of services as well as the licence to actually run the service at all. And they, it said that the National Transport Authority was to carry out a review of this licensing. That, that review was completed last autumn. 
the review is in the Department of Transport, mm. but the problem is the Minister has not published it. What we're told is that they're still studying the findings of it. However, I think the issue will be, for the unions certainly, one of the arguments for the unions will be, the unions want roundtable talks with the, the government, the Department of Transport, the Minister, Bus Air and Management and the National Transport Authority. I think what the unions will argue is, how can they do a deal with management on costs based on a current licensing arrangement? If perhaps, and we don't know this, but if perhaps the National Transport Authority in its review of licensing arrangements to the minister was to say we should liberalise further because the mm. costs it would would the so problem might be a bit of horse trading on that. I think I think nothing will be done until that that review will have to come onto the table as well. Okay, uh, what about Sh- uh, Shane Ross and all of this? He's the Minister for Transport, and Kenny told it all the other day that uh, uh, Minister Ross hadn't seen the report, uh, the Grant Thornton report, hadn't read it, hadn't seen it, uh, which seems extraordinary uh, given that it had been the public domain after your story for about six days, I think, at that point. Uh, so where where you know where's he in all of this? What well, he's I got think, an important policy role to play here. Well, I think very helpfully, Fianna Fáil um, t- on um, on Wednesday uh, left a copy of the uh, Grant Thornton report in the minister's pigeonhole. So they were very helpfully providing him with a copy to read. Um, no, you you are correct. There is a the minister has a is obviously the minister is the shareholder of Bus Erin. So the minister has a. At one start, he's the, he's the owner of the of of one of the main companies, but he will also have to set out policy for the, and particularly in relation to the licensing arrangements. Should we, you know, the unions want licenses in essence to be restricted? There will be other people who may argue that we should have a complete um, free for all. Yeah. That there should be no restrictions. That anybody who wants to set up a company, anybody should be able to drive up and down the motorways. Um, so those issues will have to be put in place as well. I think there's, also, there's another issue as well. If we are going to rationalise bus error, it's not going to come cheap. There is going to be a have to be quite a sizable redundancy pl- uh, program put Who's in place. Who's going to pay for that? I would imagine that would have to be the taxpayer. As a, um, I, I could not imagine that Bus Aaron or the broader CIE group would have um, the wherewithal to f- to fulfil to pay for three or four hundred. And in the background, uh, while all of this is going on, uh, Martin, we have a, a pay claim essentially from the staff of uh, is it eleven and a half, eleven point two five percent. I think it was higher than that initially. But, but basically, what happened earlier this year was after the Lewis settlement uh, in the summer, uh, there was a strike in Dublin Bus. That was eventually settled, and there was a for 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 an increase of eleven point two five percent over three years. And I think certainly the unions will the unions are looking for um, parity with the deal that was reached by their colleagues in in Dublin Bus. But the, company, the company clearly can't afford that. The company has said absolutely, we can't afford this. And now we're looking. I think we're, we're looking at not only can it not afford pay rises. But I think the issue will be it will be looking for other cuts that may be equally or more unpalatable in the future. The company, the unions will argue during the, the depths of the recession, they did agree for a temporary period across the entire CIA group for reductions in earnings for their staff. They maintained that was temporary for in the in the face of a recession, that this is a completely separate issue. Bus Aaron, as they see it, is facing losses because of the policy of liberalisation of routes, and therefore they are not going to um, agree to that. So I think there will be potentially quite a lot of trouble there. Okay, um, uh, Sean Barrett, you uh, served alongside Shane Ross uh, in Shannon Aaron. Um, uh, how do you think he's getting on as Minister for Transport? Well, I succeeded Shane. He he, he was raised to higher things when I entered the Senate. Um, he has a, a stand back, I think, attitude, you, you could say, and so on. And we go on the columns that he used to write in the Sunday Independent. Uh, I mean, I was just thinking there as Martin was talking, supposing, you know, a hotelier uh, got in touch and, and tourism is part of that brief and said, I don't like the idea of a new hotel opening in my town. Could you uh, withdraw mm. uh, planning permission for it? We don't want any more hotels. No, I, I, I don't know whether, how that would go down. Now, and looking at those issues, I, I looked up two, like, that the bus companies and transport companies adjust all the time. There's a continuous program of route changing and Dublin bus and indeed in bus there. I looked up to uh, Portumna in East Galway and uh, Ballybockle, Garristown were areas which bus and withdrew and uh, and by it, it, the NTA has uh, a rural transport initiative for North County 
Dublin, Ballybuckle, and Swords, um, uh, Balbriggan, Rollstown, Garristown, mm-hmm. called Nifty. Now, they have that in a number of places. In other words, you can get a smaller bus with a different operator to come in uh, where the 52-seater bus and the national organisation was necessary. The other one I looked at was Portumna, and there, uh, and I used to see it go by here, uh, Manute's Kilcock to Portumna, a very nice bus, there's hardly ever anybody in it, and a man called Kearns in Bar has taken over that, and by the website of Mr. Kearns, there's actually more buses on it now than uh, when uh, bus are in use to run. So there are, there are alternatives, uh, particularly an industry where uh, I recall Mr. Matthews of Inneskeen County, Monaghan, who, who dominates the Dundalk Dublin route, he got contracts at the London Olympics. So some of these fellows are highly efficient, sure. fellas, more efficient than British bus companies. And if they're able to make a contribution uh, uh, to the work of the National Transport Authority and the save the taxpayer money, uh, that's, that's interesting. And by the numbers that Martin uh, published, I thought that the 516 redundancies was, was on the high side that Grant Thornton proposes because I think there are about 2,000 full-time employees in bus air and, and, um, yeah. and about, uh, I think, 400 part-time school bus drivers. So it seemed drastic, but I haven't seen it. I wasn't one of the lucky people whom somebody left sure, a sure, copy sure. of it into, into his uh, entry. Okay, Martin, you've... Uh, as is being projected, or is there a certain amount of choreographing for industrial relations disputes or looking for more subsidies? Because both the public and private sectors in Ireland are always into the Department of Finance looking for more money, and they they make cases, the so-called business case. Okay. Um, Okay, Martin, uh, you've uh, watched a number of these uh, similar type disputes over the years uh, play out. How do you think this one's going to finish up? I think this is different. I think we're where previously you have issues with companies where people looking for increases and it's a, you know Dublin bus for example was an old-fashioned pay dispute. I think there is quite significant or potentially an existential existential problem or crisis for our bus errand. The the future of the company is 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 in doubt, and the I think the issues the way this is handled over the next two two to three months will tell as to whether there is a bus air in, in operation in its current form in 18 months to two years' time. So I think this is a this is a slightly bigger issue than an old-fashioned pay dispute in, in a company. And the the options for the government would appear to be quite limited. OK, Martin Wall, Sean Barrett, thank you for your contributions. That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Danny McCoy, Cliff Taylor, Jim Power, Martin Wall and Sean Barrett. Declan Conlon and Jennifer Ryan produced the podcast with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. And if you'd like to make any comments or suggestions about Inside Business, you can contact us by email at businesspodcast at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.